to the mic, they start dimming the lights, you start feeling alright. From Birmingham, home with the Teddy Longs and the Ruben Studders, more once you discover, for all of the lovers, Whitney Houston and Roman Reigns, for all of the lovers, Mickey James and Marvin Gaye, for all of the lovers, of Sasha Banks, Janelle Monae, Silk, Sonic and Paige, allow me to say, look, I just found a place, we'd escape, every one of us, I was kinda late, cause I just made it off the struggle bus, walking by the fake, cause I know it's right in front of us, yo, I ain't with the hate, gotta focus on what's great, ladies and gentlemen, Steph Hardy is on the air, had to drop a couple bars, just to make you all aware, so, sit back, relax, enjoy the show, you know I go by Joe or the wrestle, hey y'all, Welcome to the season four premiere of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl Stephanie Hardy. Of course, I've got the first news and gosh of 2022. And of course, I'm going to talk about what I've been up to since I haven't been recording any new episodes since the new year started. But you know, stuff happens. So I'm going to tell y'all what's been going on with me in and out of wrestling. And I've got your weekly recap with Raw, Impact, SmackDown, and a little bit of Rampage thrown in there. So sit back, relax, and listen to this new episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. I miss y'all. Right, so in the first news and gossipish of 2022, wow, there is a lot going on, as there has been a whole lot going on since the beginning of the year in wrestling, period. But we're gonna start with the news involving Mustafa Ali, who, um, earlier this week requested to be released from wwe because he felt that he had a message that is much bigger than his dreams in pro wrestling that can't be fulfilled while working in wwe and he requested his release and posted it all over his social media platforms um which was disheartening to say the least but at the same time i can't really blame him because he hasn't really been on television since last october so um i wish him the best but WWE fired back apparently according to Fightful Sean Ross Sapp and said the WWE isn't planning to release him at all so all this was announced as well so basically since WWE isn't re- granting um Mustafa Ali's release He's kind of just stuck in a place where numerous amounts of wrestlers over the years have been stuck in where they'll just wait. They'll probably just wait their contract out. That is if they aren't called back upon to be on television. Um, So it kind of sucks because this is this is the same thing that happened to Brody Lee. um, God rest his soul. Um, And Luke Harper and a number of other people who were sort of made to wait their contracts out until they expired and then they were finally able to leave. But my thing is the thing about Mustafa Ali is just the fact that he is so talented. Um, If it's anything that we were able to see even during the pandemic era, which a lot of people don't give him credit for, for helping carrying the pandemic era with retribution and him being the secret guy behind the cameras and stuff. It's just the fact that 
he has the personality and he has the athleticism and what it would take to be a, a star player in WWE. But for some reason, they just keep getting lost with him. And then when he gives them something um, cool to do, like in the case of Retribution, where he wasn't the secret guy behind the camera anymore and Retribution was destroying everything and all of that. But then they dismantled Retribution and sort of left him to be like a, a, a angry sort of tag team partner to um monsoor and then they broke up and started fighting um and made history in saudi arabia and stuff at crown jewel last year it's just like ever since then he's just sort of been lost in a shuffle and it's such a shame because he was really talented especially with his stuff that he did in 205 live and um someone from wrestle rant um graham gsm matthews tweeted and said i just realized that if mustafa ali gets his release granted t-bar um slash dominic dajakovic and um and will be the only remaining member of retribution on the wwe main roster and they only broke up last march that angle was one of the biggest wastes of time and talent in company history and i don't necessarily agree with him in the sense that i felt like it was a waste of time or a waste of talent but at the same time there was so much that could have happened with them that didn't so i guess so it wasn't but i would say that it wasn't completely a waste but at the same time it in retrospect when you realize that half of the people aren't there anymore it's kind of sad but i i do believe mace might still be there i haven't seen him in a while i'm not sure if he's been released or not but it's just it's just a really sad situation and i also feel like if they if he's really not happy then they should just let mustafa go because wrestling um outside of wwe could very well use somebody um of his talents and of his personality and then it saddens me also because of that one time he released that clip where it looked like he was trying to create a new america or something like that which almost gave off the impression that he was talking like he was going to be our new president but at the same time it was something a little bit more political behind that but it's such a shame that wwe didn't even let that happen either so here's hoping that stuff will turn around for mustafa ali but you know i just feel like if he's really not happy they should just let him go and let him be free to wander about in the um in the independence because he would be great there so if it's whatever then um more news in contract stuff um as of today leo rush announced that he is a free agent on twitter he said that on February the 4th, he tweeted out a picture of himself and next to that was a statement where he said on February the 14th, um, 2022, my contract will expire with AEW and I will become a free agent for all booking inquiries. Please email him at the email address that he provided. Um, so basically everyone is kind of freaking out about this because it seemed like every, like he, his move in terms of going to AEW and everything that he had going on for that it just didn't really like stick as well or he hasn't really done as much with the company like he was involved in a few things but then after that point you know it really wasn't anything so Leo's um 
start spent several weeks recruiting Dante Martin to his side and then he worked a handful of tag team matches with him and then they it led them to an angle where he swerved team Taz into thinking he would sign with them so he could betray them to win the dynamite diamond battle royal um but it looks like the battle royal will be the last of his AEW matches seeing as he's announced himself as a free agent and weirdly enough this also comes after leo blasted um tony khan um which i'll talk about um later on in the show for his defensive um comments towards big swole's critique of aew's diversity efforts and he tweeted out that tony khan should apologize and then he backtracked and said he was supportive of Tony Khan and the brand after having a discussion with him about diversity or whatever. But then he never returned to television. And then Dante Martin allied himself with Jay Lethal um, and Matt Seidel and Lee Moriarty rather than reconnecting with Leo. So now he's gone. And it's just weird and kind of confusing um, as to how things went and a lot of people on social media are jumping to the conclusion that it may have it still may have something to do with tony khan and the dissension that they had with the whole diversity conversation or it might have something to do with something else completely different um but we have to wait and see what leo rush will say about this um turn of events but i do still um wish the best for him in his career because he is just 27 years old which is as someone who's sitting right at 28 um is still relatively early in his career so there's still so much more that he can do he's still working with um new japan pro wrestling america and on the independence and he's scheduled to take part in game changer wrestling's the world on gcw show in manhattan new york um i believe this weekend so he's still got stuff going on it's just this AEW thing is just kind of confusing but we'll wait to see if he'll release a statement about it himself so that's usually the best option in this situation also in the news we have the undertaker who is scheduled to attend the royal rumble um this coming weekend in st louis so according to pw insider the undertaker will be in st louis primarily for the purpose of watching his wife michelle mccool who is a former divas champion participate in the women's royal rumble match which has so many amazing people in that in that match like the likes of impact knockout champion mickey james um which is the first time anything like that has ever happened um summer ray is going to be in the match of course bianca belair um is going to be there with bells on seeking a second time to win Liv morgan and you know and of course lita as well so pw insider also noted that the undertaker could also be present to shoot material for peacock since wwe will be shooting content during royal rumble weekend um and he was more recently seen in a commercial for WWE 2K22, which um, released its a commercial um, this week and also a cover which featured Rey Mysterio, which was very beautiful, um, colorful cover, I might add. And they have a deluxe edition with members of the NWO on there um, as well. It's got Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, X-Pac, and... The race is formerly known as Hulk Hogan on the cover because they keep trying to make him a thing. But regardless of that, 
you know, the game looks promising and cool. And The Undertaker was featured in that commercial because I believe in that video game, they have three different versions, three different playable versions of The Undertaker in it. So it looks way more promising than the last year's game. Um, but then again, I'm not really a gamer that much. I'm only attached to a gamer via my significant other, but it still looks cool. So yeah, if he's going to be there at the Royal Rumble to support his significant other, his wife, then that only makes sense. But of course, The Undertaker is retired. There isn't any action that he's probably going to do at this point. So it's okay. Also in the news, um, you have the return of the Hardy Boys Team Extreme to wrestling in an independent match in March. So big time wrestling... Um, announced Tuesday that the Hardy Boys as Matt and Jeff the decorated tag team and my brothers in my head will reunite for their March 12th show in Webster Massachusetts and they're going to team tag team together for the first time in three years so of course the Hardy Boys last teamed on the April 9th 2019 episode of Smackdown when they beat the Usos to win the Smackdown tag team championships but Jeff Hardy um suffered a knee injury forcing the Hardy Boys to relinquish a title and then Matt and Jeff were utilized separately once Jeff returned and Matt let his contract expire in March of 2020 which led to him signing with AEW and he's been over there and Jeff remained with WWE but then he was released in December following an incident at a house show in Corpus Christi Texas where he walked out and then um and then Matt confirmed that Jeff was released um, from WWE after turning down WWE's offer to go to rehab. But he said that Jeff didn't need rehab. So that was a really confusing time. But it seems like it seems like Jeff is doing fine. Matt is doing fine. So if this is um, since this is what's going on um, in Massachusetts in March, I wish the very best to my tag team brothers. And I hope that Jeff is healthy and Matt is healthy and everybody's fine over there at that camp. And then I guess we'll see if they'll reunite in AEW at some point. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Also in the news, we have WWE reportedly showing interest in signing former Ring of Honor Women's World Champion Roxy. So according to Fightful Select, Roxy performed well at her tryout in December and that there was a significant push within WWE to sign her even before the tryout occurred. Now, this tryout, like I said, occurred in December, which was after Ring of Honor announced that it would be essentially releasing all of its contracted talent in anticipation of a reboot in 2022. And Roxy, of course, won the Ring of Honor Women's World title at in September and dropped it um, more recently to Impact Wrestling's Deanna Perazzo last week, which could be a sign of things progressing with WWE. But she hasn't really released any information saying that she's going to do so. Um, but she has links to WWE because she trained under Booker T at Reality of Wrestling and shout out to them in Texas. And she's close friends with NXT star Cora Jade, who are both incredibly young in their wrestling careers because Roxy is only 20 years old. And 
WWE signed Cora J when she was just 19 and she is one of the top stars in NXT's women's division at just 21. So since there's this youth movement going on, I don't see any problem with them signing Roxy because she's very talented. Um, she's known as a wrestling prodigy considering she started training really young. So I would be really excited to see her, but I'm really curious as to how they would utilize her in NXT if that's the case. Or if they would bring her up all the way to the main roster, seeing as, you know, she's accomplished so much already. But I was kind of devastated to see her lose the Ring of Honor Championship Women's World title to Deanna Perazzo. But Deanna is just on a um, winning streak to prove that she's the best women's wrestler alive. As she's also still the reigning Reina de Reina's um, Lucha Libre AAA champion as well. So here's hoping the best for Roxy and Deanna Perazzo as well. Yeah, lots of cool stuff going on with women's wrestling. Also in the news, we have Road Dog who commented on whether or not NXT 2.0 has been unsuccessful. Now, earlier this week, there was some report that came out that said people in WWE were unhappy with the progress of NXT 2.0, and it spread like wildfire all over social media and stuff like that, and I felt like that was kind of like a pretty, excuse me, horrible thing to say considering the reboot isn't exactly that old at this point. It's like they're still building superstars. They just have, they just crowned a new NXT champion in, in the 2.0 era in um, Braun Breaker, who's also a Steiner. It's like they have their women's champion in Mandy Rose, who's never held gold before. And then you have Toxic Attraction, you know, in their women's tag titles or whatever. There's still so, so many stars that they're still building up. Um... This felt like a catastrophic type of article that some that some people put out for the sake of putting something out because I know people will either click on it or feed into that negativity. So I choose to not believe that NXT 2.0 and people in WWE are unhappy with it already. Um, but the news about them changing Walter's name to Gunther um didn't help with that either but at the same time I wouldn't say that this is like the end-all be-all for NXT 2.0 and it feels like there are people from the outside and from the outside who are just really wanting NXT to fail and it's kind of creepy and kind of bad because they actually have so many good stars that they can depend on for them not to fail like they're making new stars which is I thought what people wanted but okay let's not discuss that but road dog jesse james um responded to a tweet from the wrestle votes um account that talked about nxt and so wrestle vote tweeted and said internally wwe is said to be disappointed with nxt 2.0 in its first four months source said they were they thought more fans would gravitate towards the newer stars quicker than they have could it just be too much too fast either way i don't expect any changes to the concept just yet but road dog disagreed with that take he said think about it from a logical business standpoint they can do no wrong. Getting paid for content, developing new characters while getting experience in the ring. Every show wishes their rating, ratings, which means nothing, were higher. It's working. And then he would continue to interact with Russell Votes and noted that he is not that he is not the only 
that he is the only thing not working in NXT right now because he's not working with um, the brand anymore. So like I said, it just seems like pretty catastrophic thinking on behalf of people who are um, wrestling journalists who just kind of came up with that on the fly, but, and we just wanted to say something to be mean or something like that, but I just don't think so. So, um, NXT 2.0 seems pretty okay to me in an okay spot, but they still have some growing to do. So it's okay. Just give it room to grow. Um, also in the news, we have, um, Sami Zayn reportedly re-signing, um, with WWE, um, around the same time as his real life best friend, Kevin Owens. And according to Dave Meltzer, who we still have to take with a grain of salt sometimes, Sammy re-signing with um, WWE coincided with him working with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar on SmackDown. And Kevin Owens, of course, announced that he had signed a new deal with WWE in December and stated that that was the best move for his family. And then Meltzer noted that while people in WWE believe Zayn had re-signed as well, it was never publicly confirmed until this week when Sami Zayn tweeted and said, sticking around and having fun, that's the Sami Zayn way. And he's been working, you know, among the top heels on SmackDown in recent months and stuff. And in November, Sammy won a battle royal to become the number one contender for the Universal title, um, which led to multiple interactions with Brock Lesnar, who bullied Zayn into taking his title match at the before the day one pay-per-view. So Sami Zayn is in a good place right now, and now he's currently working with the with Jackass star um Johnny Knoxville, who's declared himself for the men's Royal Rumble, and they keep participating in sort of jackass like segments on SmackDown lately, which have been kind of funny. So Sami Zayn seems to be in a good place, and as long as he's happy, that's all that matters. So also in the news, we have Lita, who's possibly staying beyond the Royal Rumble. Um to participate in women's um division stuff so since lita the hall of famer has been announced as a participant in the women's royal rumble um and she was shaking it up with charlotte last um not not this past weekend but last week yeah um she might be doing more so according to dave Meltzer, again lita may be back as a short-term regular wrestler because of the death issues wwe is having in the smackdown women's division um and Charlotte, of course, criticized Lita and said that she was going to retire her the same way she retired Trish Stratus a few years back at SummerSlam. And she tried to attack her, but then Lita got the upper hand by giving her a twist of fate. Now, this could be interesting in the sense that we could watch Lita in a couple of new matches. We could watch Lita possibly go up, like if she stays on SmackDown, of course. She could possibly face off against maybe Zia Lee or a Shotzi, which would be really interesting. Or she could go back and forth with Charlotte or Naomi. But seeing as um, their bigger major stars are kind of out in the sense of like Sasha Banks or Bayley, who are both injured and stuff like that. There's still so much that Lita could do or she could go back on Raw since a lot of people have been switching on brands back and forth, much to the happiness and sometimes chagrin of different fans and stuff like that, like kill the brand split or something like that. But she could do a whole lot. So that would be amazing. Um, she's the four time women's champion and there's still so much that she could do. Also, go on Women's Wrestling Talk and check out and check out the top five Lita moments article that was written about her and the um 
show that me and Katrina from In Cat We Trusted, that was really cool. Check that out as well. Also in the news, and I believe this will be the last thing I'll talk about in news and gossip-ish, um, John Moxley made his return to AEW after taking a couple of months off for um, alcohol recovery. And he definitely does look like, you know, he's doing better and more healthier um, and that he wants. And he was basically, you know, on the air talking about um, how basically on AEW Dynamite, he was talking about how he wants to how he basically rose above alcoholism and he called it a demon and he basically said that the demon never wanted him to be free so he can finally embrace the good life he has with his wife and his family um and he has a lot of scars and it may be normal to keep those things hidden like they aren't there but those are the things that give us strength and make us who we are so after accepting that and after talking about, you know, rising above his demons and being back to drink blood and stuff and fight in a championship match he has coming up, um, there was a rude fan who was heckling him and said, hey, and he was heckling him and called him a drunk SOB or something like that. And Moxley basically told him to F himself and told him to, and told security to get that guy out of here and called him a piece of ish. So in light of that, um, Bubba Ray Dudley decided to go on his, um, busted open radio and talk about how he felt like John Moxley owed the fans an apology for taking several months off due, um, to receive treatment for alcoholism. And he mentioned that if he were in Moxley's position, he'd have apologized to the fans for letting them down. Um, but a lot of people have come to John Moxley's defense and said that he has nothing to feel sorry for in the sense that he has nothing to apologize for. He shouldn't apologize to that fan who he told to go F himself and he shouldn't have to apologize to the fans, period. Um, and I agree with that because John Moxley was really open or at least Tony Khan, I think I remember who tweeted about it, was open with the fact that he decided to take a break for his own healing. And in that aspect, he shouldn't apologize because if he's doing this for himself, I mean, he shouldn't necessarily have to apologize in that aspect. If he chose to, we would have taken it and accepted it. But as far as him actively trying to apologize, he didn't have to do that because he was doing this for himself and for his own well-being and for the sake of his wife, Renee, and their baby. So he doesn't have to apologize John Moxley is cool and as long as he's healthy and as long as he is loved by everyone who who he is loved by then that's all that truly matters so yeah that's all for news and gossipish and now I'm going to talk about what I've been up to over the past month um because I know I haven't been on in a while or recorded an episode since December with Aubrey Edwards the AEW referee so I'm going to talk about that Right. So I just wanted to sort of talk about everything that's sort of been going on with me the past month. Yeah, it's been a month since I recorded an episode. It's probably the longest I haven't been on um, in terms of my own show in a while. And stuff has been going on because I was struggling with 
how to sort of continue podcasting in the midst of a great change that sort of happened in my life. Um, For those who may or may not know, my mom had a health episode at sort of the beginning of December, and she's been in the hospital ever since. And it was kind of hard because I didn't know in the first few days or even weeks how her recovery was going to be. I didn't know if she was truly even going to recover at all. It was a mess. I was an emotional mess. Everyone around me was an emotional mess. Like everything was just kind of turned upside down. My mom is my best friend and I love her so deeply and it's just like she and I are really close. So it's just like anything, something like this, when any, when something like this happens, it knocks you on your butt and you just don't really know how exactly you're going to sort of move forward with your life and how can stuff, you know, be without this person. My mom is currently still in the hospital, but she's in rehab right now rehabbing herself and she's recovering incredibly well she's still here with us and I'm really grateful for those who um, prayed and sent good thoughts to me and my family during the time um, this was going on this was going on you know during the Christmas season um, and then also during the New Year season as well it was really weird because I didn't know exactly how to move forward with the holidays and stuff, but I still tried my best to make the best out of the situation that was going on. I was still trying to still maintain the joy of the holiday season, even though it was without her and stuff. And I'm grateful to the people who were still able, you know, to give me a good holiday season and for me to give them a good holiday season as well. So I'm really grateful. And my mom is on the up and up and she is recovering relatively fast. Um, faster than a lot of people would have thought so yeah in the midst of her recovery I was trying to figure out how am I going to still participate in wrestling without you know overwhelming myself and I found that I was finding strength not only from people who are close to me who work with me in wrestling but I also found strength the more I saw my I would see my mom recover and the more she would recover the more I felt inclined to actually keep going because my mom was is always the type of person who tells me don't ever stop just because you know someone in your life isn't you know as doing as well you know don't ever stop she always said don't ever stop for me live your life please continue to live your life don't don't ever stop for me like that so I slowly got back into participating with women's wrestling talk who were great support systems after that point. Um, I continued to prepare for the Belladonna division show coronation in terms of commentary and stuff like that. And I was always watching wrestling even still, but not really reporting on it unless it was like maybe one time, but I wasn't fully reporting on the way that I do here on this show and I just took a whole break like I interviewed um AEW referee Aubrey Edwards and I thank her for coming on the show but as far as creating episodes on a consistent weekly basis I just wasn't doing that 
But in the midst of all of that, it was hard because there was so much going on even at the beginning of the year. Um, Big Swole came out and said everything she said about why she left AEW and how she felt from her um, perspective, how AEW really needed some help in terms of how they portray um, diversity in terms of their black talent and how, you know, she felt like there really weren't a lot of stars on television that looked like her or looked like her child and stuff. And she said that um, her and Tony Khan, the owner of AEW, you know, came to a, you know, a consensual, you know, they came to the conclusion that she, you know, it was best if she left. And she came out and said what she said on her podcast. And when that got reported, everything got re- like spread. It spread like wildfire and everybody was angry and everybody was mad. And even Tony Khan decided to tweet out and talk about um, how he about all of the black wrestlers that had been on television within the past month and how many black people participated in a tournament. And he also defensively tweeted out and said that the reason why he let Big Swole's contract expire and he let her go was because she wasn't good enough of a wrestler. And then on top of that, this was retweeted, which which broke my heart even more. This was retweeted by a number of AEW talent who basically benefit from um, being in the majority of the people who would get promoted on AEW, like your Britt Bakers, like Ty Conti, like Sammy Guevara, and like so many people who benefit from the privilege of not being a black talent, but yet still being put out there on a more consistent basis than black talent would at that point. And that was disheartening. But then what made it even more disheartening was when me as a black content creator, host and commentator, decided to support Big Swole and release a statement on Twitter, people got in their feelings. People got mad and got misogynistic in certain comments and got even racist in certain comments and said and insulted me by saying that my wrestling podcast will never get up off the ground or you know, my opinions will never be listened to because it doesn't have anything to do with race and your podcast is trash and all this other stuff. And I'm sitting here like, really? You're doing all of this for someone who doesn't know you, number one. And you're doing, you're also doing all of this while not having all of the information and not understanding the privilege that you have as a Caucasian person or a Caucasian wrestling fan or whatever. The thing that bothers me about situations like this, considering this is my first time um, addressing this on air, the problem that I have with stuff like this is the fact that this is another situation where people who are privileged just don't see how good they have it. And then when they see someone else who isn't looking like them getting any shred of an opportunity or talking about the lack of opportunities that they have, that they just so happen to have, um, which 
maybe because of the color of their skin, they get bothered, defensive, and bent out of shape because they don't want to listen and because they just can't see how privileged they are. And that bothers me because that just gives off the impression that you really do not pay attention to how the world is and how specifically this country is when it comes to black people. It's like whenever any person in wrestling or as a whole um, of color gets any type of attention, it's like some of y'all be supportive, but then the rest of y'all just get mad as hell. And it is so upsetting as a fan who just so happens to be black. Because it's just like, I love wrestling with all of my heart. And I've loved it since I was four years old. And I want to believe that you know, this is a family and that wrestling fans are a family and wrestling and the wrestling community as a whole is a family. But then when stuff like this happens and when we address something that um, in a constructive and healthy way, it's like you're still sort of put down and you're still sort of gaslighted to believe that you're crazy and that nothing is an issue and that this wrestler was on TV and Jay Lethal was on TV this week and and Nyla Rose is here and all this other stuff. And yeah, it's great that these African and African-American wrestlers are on television and that the acclaimed was on television and stuff like that. And you have Jay Cargill, who is now the TBS champion. You know, that's an amazing thing. And I'm happy for that. But at the same time, you you as a new wrestling company should not be making the mistakes of your that your predecessors made over 60 years ago. You were created in a time in which in which stories involving black people are at the forefront on television. Like AEW was founded in the in the time of TV shows like Blackish, Grownish, Insecure, and so many and Atlanta. And even after the movie Black Panther came out. Like you were born in that era. There's no excuse for you to have some of your black talent only scooped to the back on AEW Dark or Dark Elevation. And that's not a bad show because some people that I've had on my show um, have started and have gotten exposure via AEW Dark and AEW Elevation. But that shouldn't be the only place where we should find some of your black talent or most of your black talent. You should be having your black talent on television or at least more of them on television. And yeah, AEW has made some improvements. I will say that. But at the same time, if they're not going to be as consistent with it, then they can't expect us as wrestling fans you know, and wrestling journalists to not address that. And what bothers me is you want to get upset when people hold you accountable for it. You can be held accountable without um, taking somebody down or making them feel like they're small. And that's not what Big Swole did. But TK, but um, Tony Khan acted like that was the case. And I feel like it's becoming less and less um capable for me to like him as a person now because this is the second time he has come out against a woman speaking out first time being when he decided to come for Ella J who is my colleague on women's wrestling talk in that media call when she asked him about having an all-female show and he got bent out of shape and proceeded to um jack off to himself and the progress that he tried to make um in terms of NWA empower and try to equate it to not getting a payoff after taking a woman out to dinner like a sexist bastard. But okay, 
Um, <laughs> so it's becoming easier and easier here for me not to like him as a person now. Um, and yeah, he may, it's possible that maybe he talked to Big Swole and maybe he apologized, but I just don't necessarily like him as a person now. I'll still, you know, support and watch AEW in terms of the talent that's there. Um, or if I see something that I like, because, you know, I have to from a professional standpoint, but as far as Tony Khan is concerned, he's a jerk and he can really like kiss my black behind. Um, and you know, that's just how I feel about him at this point. I support Big Swole and everything that she wants to do with her career. Um, and I'll just, yeah, and I just continue to support black wrestlers. I'll support all wrestlers, but mostly definitely black wrestlers. You know, I'm here for black wrestling draws and all of that. And that's just who I am. And if you don't necessarily like it, you can unfollow me on all my social media platforms. You can not listen to my podcast anymore. You're free to do that. Because at the end of the day, your one follow and your necessarily your one listen isn't going to stop me from succeeding. And that's just the truth of the matter. I work too hard and do too much for this industry to not succeed. So if you decide that you don't want to support me anymore because I talk about black history or because I'm supportive of black wrestlers, well, guess what? I'm just going to let you know this now. I am a black person and this is I am a black woman living in the South in Birmingham, Alabama, which was a city that was involved in the Civil Rights Institute not the civil rights institute but the civil rights movement so um if you have an issue with that you can unfollow you have a button you can click it you can unfollow you don't have to listen to me anymore that's just how i feel about it because it's whatever at this point you've shown yourself i'm gonna show myself i work too hard and i do too much good for the wrestling community to worry about people who hide behind anime pictures and say and say bullying and mean things to me literally like that's stupid I dealt with that last year somebody online called me fat um hidden behind a cartoon picture on Twitter and had like little to no followers like come on now come on and then you and then another person calls my podcast trash and says that out that my podcast will never get up off the ground because you know, I decide to speak out in on behalf of Big Swole. Okay. And you did this behind a cartoon profile picture. Baby, bye. Okay. Um, and seeing all this craziness and then dealing with also Big E losing a WWE title to Brock Lesnar yet again. All of that sort of broke my heart as a black wrestling fan. So I didn't know really what to do or how to feel about wrestling at that point. But I was able to get back into it slowly but surely. Um, I didn't quit watching it, but I was. But what made me feel better about Biggie losing the title was the next week watching Paul Heyman, you know, put him over and say that he wouldn't mind facing him. Um, he wouldn't mind Brock Lesnar facing him at some point in the future, and that made me feel a little bit better. But at the same time, I was just like, man, this this makes me sad. So, you know. It's still okay over here in, in House Hardy, though, because after all of that drama, I was able 
to participate in the Belladonna Division show coronation and do commentary for that with my commentary bestie, the funeral director, Scott Reznor, who I hope to have on a show in the future. And we were able to crown a new champion with our tournament, which had the likes of Renee Michelle, um, Impact Digital Media Champion, um, Jordan Grace and Eva Lise and Valentina Loca and Raylan and Heather Monroe, like all of those beautiful, talented women in this tournament. And Cassandra Golden fought four matches to become the first ever Belladonna Division Forbidden Elegance Champion. And I was so happy for it. And I've had her on my show before. And it was just really great to see her, you know, succeed in that way and win the title and stuff. And we took pictures together and it was just really cool. And then to be able to sit in on some of um, Aubrey Edwards' um, referee seminar and then meet her, you know, after interviewing her and stuff for the show and everything. Like, that was really cool, too. And a good time was had. Champions were crowned. And we also paid tribute to um, Daphne within our show because Casey and Veronica were friends with her and stuff. So it was just a really beautiful um, show, a beautiful moment. And if you weren't able to um, attend the show, you can stream it on Fight TV. Um, and we're going to be doing more stuff within the coming months. I know probably, I believe March or April, we're supposed to be going to Illinois and I'm going to be there as well. Um, and I'm just really excited, you know, for what the future holds in terms of women's wrestling and wrestling as a whole as well. And I'm excited for the future of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast, too, because um, during the weekend before Valentine's Day, Comic-Con is happening in Birmingham at the BJCC. This is a more so of an anime um, convention. And... I'm going to have a fan table there. The Hardy Wrestling Podcast is going to have a fan table. So I'm going to be there. Um, I'm going to have um, free stuff that you can get, like masks. I'm going to have um, free stickers that you can get as well. And also probably business cards and stuff. But I'll also have a television where I'm going to be showing a lot of my past interviews and such. And I'll more than likely have pictures hanging up of anime characters and um, wrestlers in anime gear and stuff like that. So, you know, if you want to come and chop it up and talk about, you know, the similarities between anime and wrestling, we can talk about it and you can teach me something and I can teach you something about wrestling and that'll be cool. And then, of course, my um, friends, my brothers at Blurred Over, they'll be having a wrestling show there um, that night as well. So you can check that out. Um, but I'm really excited for that because I've never really had a table at a convention before. So I'm really pumped for it. So if you um, want to come over and say hi, um, you and get some free stuff, free goodies, you can do that. I can't sell anything. Um, but I'm pretty sure, you know, you'll be buying all kinds of cool stuff at that convention if you go, but, um, I'll have free stuff so you can come and we can talk wrestling, we can talk anime, whatever you want. Um, so that'll be fun. Also, I'm still participating with Women's Wrestling Talk. And pretty soon I'm going to be getting into the writer's um, chair and writing articles and stuff like that. Not a whole bunch of them, but just one um, this one time. And um, <laughs> and then I'm also um, within the next month, I'm thinking about um, doing more 
special stuff for interviews centered on wrestling couples because I know Valentine's Day is coming up and I was inspired to do it because I've met a lot of wrestling couples, you know, within the past couple of weeks. And even at the Bella Donna show, like I'm really excited to sort of talk about wrestling and love. Um, so that's going to be cool. Um, so yeah, there's just so much in store, um, for me in wrestling this year. And I'm hoping that, um, the more I work hard, the more, you know, good stuff will come in terms of wrestling. And I'm also trying to get nominated for, um, Alabama podcast of the year at the Alabama music awards this year. So if you have a mind to please go to Alabama music awards on Instagram, click the link in their bio to nominate me. And if you need any information, please, you know, DM me on Instagram or on Twitter and I'll give you the information to nominate me for it because I really do feel like my show is worth winning some awards because, um, it is and I'm also trying to get more notoriety in the state of Alabama first um as well as getting gaining notoriety around the country and around the world too so please um do that if you have a mind to so yeah um I was feeling kind of lost in the beginning of the year I was feeling kind of sad at first um but now I'm feeling inspired and more resilient and more impassioned to talk about wrestling more and more each time and then of course my anniversary the birthday of the hardy wrestling podcast is coming up so that's cool too so i'm really excited about the future i'm more excited about the future now that i'm actually more active in it and yeah it's like the best is always yet to come so yeah just be on the lookout follow me on social media and just continue to stay in the loop because the hardy wrestling podcast this is season four baby and then on top of that there's just so much more growth for me as a person and me in this industry that has to happen and i'm excited so i hope you're excited so let's just be excited together and loving together and yeah that's all so now i'm going to recap wrestling shows um like i normally do and i'm going to talk about raw and smackdown and probably rampage and also impact so yeah let's recap this thing all right this is the first raw recap of 2022 for the hardy wrestling podcast and there was a lot that went on, of course, because that's what's going to happen when there's a three-hour show. So, <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, <laughs> so, of course, I'm going to start with my women. The show started with the women. It opened up with um, the Raw Women's Champion, Becky Lynch, who, yes, I still hate right now. Um, not in a detestable way, but just in a way that makes me... I'm still mad at her about the SummerSlam thing, okay, with Bianca Belair. So there, there's that. Um, she came out there and whatever. And she was talking about the Royal Rumble, you know, and stuff before moving on and talking about Dewdrop and how she has to face her at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view for the Raw Women's Championship. Um, she proceeded to take credit for giving her for getting her a title shot because, of course, she interfered in the match. Um <clears throat> that was the main event of Raw last week when 
Dewdrop, I believe, and um, Bianca Belair and Liv Morgan were fighting for the opportunity to be number one contender. Bianca almost won, but Becky Lynch interfered and stopped Bianca and distracted Bianca from winning. Bianca had to beat up on her, and Dewdrop took advantage and covered Liv Morgan for the win. So now she's number one contender because, of course, Becky wants nothing to do with Bianca because she knows Bianca will kick her ass. But whatever. Um, then Dewdrop, Bianca Belair, and Liv Morgan all came out and talked trash about the Royal Rumble. And I know Bianca um, said something about her being a two-time Royal Rumble winner, which I would personally enjoy. But then at the same time, you have Liv Morgan, who's been fighting tooth and nail for an opportunity at the title as well. So it's just kind of like, if it's between those two, I wouldn't be mad if those if either one of those two won um, the Royal Rumble. So that would be cool. Um, and then Dewdrop, you know, finally called for the referee so she could beat somebody up. She was ready to fight. So um, we returned to see Bianca and Dewdrop in the ring um, for this match. And of course, this is a tag team match between Dewdrop and Becky Lynch versus Bianca and Liv. So we returned from commercial break to see Bianca and Dewdrop in the ring. Bianca tried to um, lift Dewdrop um, for a suplex, but then was managed. But then um, she managed to keep the upper hand until a shoulder tackle took her out. Then um, Becky Lynch tagged herself in and told Dewdrop to leave before Belair drop kicked her to the mat. Then Liv Morgan tagged in and went in um, after Becky um, with a flurry of quick strikes. And then Becky Lynch hit the manhandle slam, aka the busted ass rock bottom, which I call it. But Dewdrop. Um, attacked her and then tagged herself in so she could get the pin instead leaving becky lynch to look at her all kinds of stunned or whatever because of course they have to build up their fight um i think it's so funny how becky lynch spent so much time trying to stop um bianca from being the number one contender but now you have to face dewdrop who is who is physically imposing not saying that bianca isn't but dewdrop is physically imposing in a different way like this woman could literally you know hit a cannonball on you in the corner and probably knock you out um so for the life of me i don't understand why she would do that to herself but i'm pretty sure becky lynch will find a way to weasel her way out of that opportunity and probably cheat but um it's whatever at this point I hate Becky Lynch. So that's it. That's what happened in that match. Also with the women, you have Rhea Ripley versus Nikki A.S.H. Because, of course, Nikki A.S.H. has now become almost a super villain. Um, after Rhea Ripley told her it was time for them to break up as a tag team. But Nikki wasn't didn't want to hear that. So she attacked her after she said that. And so Nikki was saying that almost superheroes don't need friends. But at the same time, you know, now you're a villain. So why don't you just, you know, embrace that? So Nikki um, gave a promo before the match saying that Rhea was the villain in this story. And that she's going to show the world when they fight. And once the match got kind of started, well, it didn't get started because the referee didn't ring the bell. The women's tag team champions, Carmella and Queen Zelina, came out and mocked both of the women as they have been doing over the past couple of weeks. And then Zelina even took credit for helping Rhea realize who Nikki is. Then Nikki attacked Rhea um, from behind and took her out of the ring to drive her into the steel steps. And then the referee called off the match and then checked on Rhea as Nikki, you know, basically smiled from the ramp. And that was pretty much it from there. So, yeah, um, 
that was pretty much all with them but not really all with the women because we had a segment of course towards the end um of the show with alexa bliss talking to her therapist and stuff trying to get to the bottom of her situation with dealing with the aftermath of losing lily her doll um at extreme rules last year and we really haven't seen her that much since but now she's going to therapy and not smashing things like she did in her first therapy session um but when the therapist asked her you know what do you think of when you when i say this word and she just kept answering lily over and over again so i don't know if this means that alexa is going to come back as the iteration of what she was before lily got torn up or somehow or another she'll come back as herself i don't know but i love alexa bliss unhinged um her as the crazy dark magic woman is really cool i like it but a lot of people don't but i actually like it i don't have any issues with it but a lot of people want to see her back as the goddess and i don't necessarily have an issue with her back as the goddess either but it just depends on what they decide to do but i actually like seeing her be unhinged and that's really all that happened with the women outside of dana brooke and her stuff with um reggie and the 24 7 championship so um then we had to the men kevin owens versus damian priest so kevin owens was out here to host an episode of the kevin owens show with his special guest and now i guess new best friend for now seth freaking rollins they had an exchange um where they put each other over and talking about you know um each other and all the great things about each other and stuff and then kevin owens um revealed that he announced that he was going to be in the men's royal rumble match then damian priest came out and trashed the both of them before revealing that his match with ko will begin immediately and then once they came back from a commercial break kevin owens applied a waist lock right away but then priest was quick to counter then ko was unable to take him down with a shoulder tackle and looked like he regretted his decision before um his opponent steamrolled over him then damian priest forced owens to take a break at ringside and then we returned from commercial to see damian unloading on um ko with a barrage of kicks this match was pretty solid and then ko avoided a superplex and hit a senton bomb for a near fall and then kevin owens faked a leg injury and then hit a stunner for the pin to earn a future u.s title shot um this was interesting in the sense that for the first time in a while we didn't see damian priest go crazy like he normally does um in terms of his um sort of dr jekyll mr hyde kind of thing where he goes into the damien half of himself um where he goes evil and stuff but he really didn't need to here against someone like kevin owens who was just you know an amazing you know wrestler who deserves more credit you know than he normally gets so here he showed a lot of his personality and his wackiness that was very reminiscent of when he and um chris jericho were together as friends or whatever but him and seth rollins are pretty cool together too but i feel like it's only a matter of time before they you know really just wake up and decide when to start to stop using each other because neither one of them can truly keep friends so but i'm gonna talk more about that when the smackdown part of this um segment but still it was just really interesting to see them you know interact with each other in that way and it was interesting to see ko get the win um over damian priest as well 
So who's to say this might, you know, feed into a feud in the future, but it was still cool. Then we have Finn Balor versus Austin Theory. And, but before this, we saw a physical confrontation between the Alpha Academy and RK Bro because they were doing their whole graduation ceremony, congratulating themselves for being the new Raw Tag Team Champions. But then Matt Riddle came out there in his graduation suit looking like he graduated from the University of Alabama at Birmingham with a green robe on, which is cute. Shout out to them. But still, and he was antagonizing the Alpha Academy and then they got attacked by RK Bro and it was interesting. So um, Finn Balor and Austin Theory met up for a rematch um, and Austin Theory was looking to prove himself to Mr. McMahon. Which I find is one of the strangest things that's going on on Raw, but weirdly enough, it was something that I was interested in. And I had a theory that maybe, oh, no pun intended. I did have a theory that maybe uh, Mr. McMahon was sort of grooming Austin Theory to possibly take over Sonya Deville and um, Adam Pierce's job as officials. But that's not what's going on here. It's almost like Mr. McMahon is sort of taking Austin Theory under his wing. And I'm not upset about it because Mr. McMahon has been on television for years and he's just a presence that I never get tired of seeing in wrestling. Um, no matter how many people, you know, try to trash him and talk about how far behind he is, which he might be in some aspects. But, you know, as a character, I'll always love Vince McMahon. I'll always have a heart for him um, in my soul. So he basically threatened to um beat up Austin Theory so bad and then take a selfie with with him after he beat him up and send it to his mom so Austin Theory was very motivated to win this match against Finn who we hadn't seen um in three weeks so Finn and Austin started off with a basic headlock before Austin drilled Finn with a back elbow and then he threw Finn into the barricade and then when he tried to do it again Balor reversed the Irish whip and sent him into the wall before taking him down with a sling blade and then we returned from commercial break to see Finn um controlling the pace of the match and then Austin began to make a comeback but when he went for the ATL Balor countered with a roll up for the near fall then Austin Theory avoided the coup de gras which is usually Finn's um bread and butter in terms of finishing a match and hit a rolling drop kick before finishing off Finn with an ATL for the win and then he also proceeded to beat him up some more and take a selfie with him again for good measure so this is pretty good in terms of um Finn putting over a new talent in Austin Theory and I'm kind of interested to see where else Austin Theory goes because I know he also will be in the Royal Rumble too so I'm pretty sure he'll do a good job in his performance but I'm not sure if he'll stay in the match long but either way it'll still be interesting to see so that's cool then we had Omos versus Reggie and before the match could begin Akira Tozawa Archuth and Tamina were chasing Dana Brooke for the 24-7 title and her and Reggie are, be- are both, you know, being friends and buddy-buddy for right now. And then Omos took out R-Truth and Tozawa before the referee called for the bell. And then once the bell did ring, Reggie jumped in him from the top rope. But then Omos caught him and hit, and hit him with a two-handed choke slam for the win. This went really quickly. And that's really all I can say about that. Omos is showing his dominance ever since... 
he and AJ Styles, you know, parted ways, which kind of broke my heart because I loved seeing both of them and their friendship. But then AJ Styles got too big for his britches and just decided he was just going to act up or whatever and be like, you'd be nothing without me, Omos. And Omos wasn't having it. So they broke up. And now Omos is just a giant dude that's just going to destroy everyone. And I'm okay with that because we don't have that... Um, that much this day and age in wrestling outside of w morrissey per se so i'm okay with that i'm okay with almost being dominant but this match went by really quickly i almost wish they would bring someone who is on his level in terms of size and girth but that's a really rare thing so i don't know but almost is cool i guess so yeah um, then we had the Street Profits and the Mysterios versus the Dirty Dogs. That's um, Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode versus Apollo Crews and Aziz. Um, so Montez Ford, um, Angelo, Ray, and Dominic Mysterio were fighting all of these people. And then they had a segment backstage where they were putting themselves over as participants in the Royal Rumble. And they realized, of course, it's going to be every man for themselves. So a part of me feels like maybe Ray would eliminate his son just to teach him a lesson or maybe his son would eliminate him, which would feed into the um, rumors of Dominic maybe turning heel because I know a lot of people were sort of feeding into that possible rumor, but I'm not sure if that would happen. Um, but yeah, I, it was pretty interesting to sort of hear them both talk about it. I'm more... Um, both tag teams talk about it I'm more on the side of Montez Ford winning the Royal Rumble that would be cool because it would be like really cool to see him win it the year after his wife won it and seeing him somebody as talented as him win the Royal Rumble and then choose a champion to go after and be able to show his talents as a singles competitor would be awesome but I'm just not sure if they're ready to break up the Street Profits just yet because they're so good together but one day He's going to have his moment in the sun and I'm ready for it. But um, in terms of this tag team um, match, the heels took control of Dominic almost immediately. But he was able to tag in um, Papa uh, Ray um, to take down Bobby Roode with the Huracarana. And then Roode countered with a top rope. He countered a top rope Huracarana. But then Ray was still able to take him out of the ring, which led to everyone getting into a brawl at ringside, which is always cool. Then we returned from break to see the bad guys back in control. But then they had the elder Mysterio on the ropes. But then we got to the part where everybody comes in and takes turns taking out an opponent, which left um, Dawkins and Montez to finish off Cruz with a spine buster. And of course, Montez Ford's immaculate from the heavens frog splash for the win. So this was really interesting, but I'm wondering where in the world what place i have two questions coming out of this match what place does apollo cruz and aziz have on raw like what place do they really have because there's so much going on in that three hour show that i'm almost and it's almost to the point to where i'm almost forgetting that apollo cruz and commander aziz are on raw i almost feel like they fit better on smackdown to a degree like they really do like i would be um, happier if they were put back on SmackDown or something because them on Raw just isn't necessarily working as well at all because it felt like last year Apollo you know going heel and finally you know tapping into his Nigerian roots and stuff like that um 
really worked well for him last year. He was featured in WrestleMania and a feud against Big E and stuff like that. You know, like everything was going well. He was an IC champion and stuff. So him on Raw is just making me and him feel a little bit lost. So maybe put him back on SmackDown. Um, and then, yeah. And then something else cool that happened out of this match was when they were throwing people over the rope, it's like, Dominic low-key tried to um, throw his dad over the ropes in a joking manner. But then Ray actually threw him over the ropes and said, Ha-ha, son, here we go. This is it. Like, there's no loyalty here. So it was like his dad was able to teach him a lesson after they both threw the Street Profits over the rope. That's what happened. So that was cool. Um, Ray Mysterio is the veteran here. And he's on the cover of 2K22. So that's all that matters. He's great. He's the GOAT. We love him. Um, yeah, that was cool. Then, um, for the main event, we had Bobby Lashley versus Seth Rollins. So, something that they did before this match was that they showed, um, montages of Brock Lesnar, Brock Lesnar's career, um, before he came back to the WWE and Bobby Lashley's career before he came back to the WWE. And somehow or another, they skipped all of his stuff in Impact Wrestling, which I thought was interesting because they talk about Impact in the sense that um, Mickie James is going to be in the Women's Royal Rumble and she's a knockouts champion, but then chose to skip over Brock, I mean, not Brock, but chose to skip over Bobby Lashley's Impact Wrestling career as well. See, that's what I mean when WWE picks and chooses when they want to include other companies and stuff, because it's just like, that was really shady, and I noticed that, and that was really weird. Um, so after they did all that, Lashley and Rollins, of course, um, got together to fight. They locked up, and Bobby overpowered um, Seth Rollins, and then Rollins hit a sling blade, but then failed to hit the pedigree on him afterward, like he was trying to end the match early. Um, but then he also avoided the hurt lock and low bridge Lashley out of the ring for a suicide dive. Then Lashley caught him in a second suicide dive and hit a belly to belly suplex as we went to commercial break. Then we returned from commercial break to see Seth beginning to focus on the leg of his um, rival to take out his base, which was smart strategy. Then we had Bobby Lashley um, taken down into a single leg crab, but then he was able to escape and hit a flatliner. And then he slowly got to his feet and immediately started throwing Seth around with suplexes. Like, Bobby Lashley is just a strong monster. And that's just it. Then Seth countered a vertical suplex but then couldn't escape the Dominator. Then Lashley lined up for a spear but then ran into a kick to the face. And then um, Seth Rollins hit the pedigree for a close two count. But then Lashley met him on the top rope and hit a huge belly-to-belly suplex. And when it looked like he had it won, guess who came out to distract, to, to ruin the match and distract Bobby? The Hurt Business. Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander pulled Lashley out of the ring and caused a DQ by attacking him, um, therefore giving him the win in the match. But there wasn't a definite finish there. But as Seth Rollins was watching him get attacked by the Hurt Business, the Usos came out from SmackDown and delivered a double super kick to him to give a message to Seth from um, the Universal Champion and the head of the table and King of Us All, Roman Reigns, blah. And that was the end. And that was a pretty intriguing end um, to sort of lead into SmackDown and their beef and stuff. But something, one question that I have in terms of the Hurt Business, 
since they're since WWE seems to be fully reiterating the fact that the Hurt Business will never, ever, ever get back together like Taylor Swift. What else is the Hurt Business there for? What else is Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander together for? Like, can we give them something else to do outside of being the foils to someone that they used to be aligned with? Like, if you're not going to bring them back together, completely separate them. Leave them alone. And if Shelton Benjamin isn't going to be involved in something, I don't, on television, that's of value to someone of his talents, especially now, then why don't they just try to, like, give him another job and put him, you know, as a producer or something? And furthermore, for Cedric Alexander, if there's anything I'm hoping for him is that if Big Swole does decide to come to WWE, if she ever does sign with him, which I don't know at this point, nobody said anything to that point, I feel like her coming to WWE and being on Raw with Cedric, um, her husband, that would revitalize his career in a way that we've never seen before. Because Cedric hasn't really had a light under him since the Cruiserweight division was sort of destroyed and stuff. So if Cedric and Big Swell were together like as a unit or if she were to like be his manager of sorts... Um, or something like that she could revitalize him the same way Zelina Vega revitalized Andrade that's something I would be interested in seeing but that's only if Big Swole would be interested in joining WWE but I don't know but that's pretty much all that happened on Raw and now we're going to discuss Impact Right, so now we're gonna recap Impact Wrestling, which came on this past Thursday. And hopefully, I can talk more about Impact Wrestling tomorrow. Watch it because it deserves it. So, <laughs> I deserve like, I deserve to watch Impact. Impact deserves to be watched. Like, like, Impact is awesome. And they're celebrating their 20th um, anniversary this year, too. So, that's really, really great. So, congratulations to them for that. So Impact Wrestling started with the women, with the knockouts. And it started in a, with a match with Tasha Steeles being accompanied by um, Savannah Evans versus Chelsea Green, so um, who is also newly married to Matt Cardona. Congratulations to her and him and all that beautiful wedded bliss. Um, so Tasha Steeles and Chelsea Green battled um, in the closing moments of the Ultimate X match, which was the first time the women ever participated in something like that, at Hard to Kill, with Tasha Steeles um, securing the victory and winning a future title shot at Mickey James um, and the Knockouts Championship. And then Mickey James joined um, John, I mean, not John, Jesus Christ, Tom Hannafan, who was formerly Tom Phillips on WWE television, but now he's on that commentary team, which is great. Um, while Steels and Green um, started fighting. So Tasha Steels attacked from the opening bell. She was being real aggressive in this match. It was interesting um, in her search for another victory. And then despite a comeback attempt from Chelsea Green, um, Steels caught her with a crucifix bomb and then scored the clean victory to continue her willing ways winning ways and this was really interesting here in this match like i got to see more of tasha Steeles and her toughness um versus chelsea green and basically everything that she had to offer her in this match and 
and as good as this match was, Tasha Steels just was just tougher and came out the victor here. But then Tasha Steels, you know, wound up messing up by talking smack at Mickey James. And she said another one bit the damn dust. And then she vowed to send Mickey James back to her home in Virginia of failure and that she was gonna take her title from her and um send her back to NWA. Um and with her husband nick aldis who was also a failure and then she was going to send mickey james back to her son a failure and of course this is where wrestlers and everybody and their mama gets mad and ready to fight because you do not mention a woman or a man's family in that so mickey james got in the ring dropped her belt and proceeded to get to fighting with tasha Steeles before chelsea green joined the champion and trying to fire her. and then savannah evans came back and tried to aid her um in fighting her but then they ran them both um chelsea green and mickey james ran them out of the ring and they were screaming at each other so this is going to be an interesting rivalry here and i'm more than excited to see this also shout out to my um friend in tennessee nikki bougie for actually being at the um tapings for impact because i saw her on tv and i was like and i messaged her and i was like girl is that you on tv and she was like yeah and i was like oh my god it's you so shout out to her and she went to smackdown too and it was her first wwe live event so that was really good for her that was cool um she's had a great week so yeah that was cool then we had the influences, the tag team of Tennille Dashwood and um, Madison Rain versus Decay. And prior to the match, um, they attacked Rosemary and rendered her unable to compete by running her her arm into the ring post and so she said she couldn't continue so havoc decided to take the both of them on by herself and of course caleb was out there on commentary with tom and he was talking trash and being extra or whatever and this became a handicap match so rain and dashwood dominated the action but then found themselves in the grasp of their opponent really late because havoc was powering through and proceeding to beat them up with her power but then Havoc's attempted comeback fell short as Madison Rain caught her with a cutter and da and Tennille Dashwood put her down with the spotlight kick for the win. This was really quick. Um, it made me sad because I was interested in seeing them both, you know, fight each other, but in a tag team sort of way. But that didn't happen. And then after that point, um, we had a promo from the Impact Knockouts Tag Team Champions, The Inspiration. And they proceeded to run down the influence and talk about how they would never beat them and how they are the standard and they're the most decorated tag team and that they're just don't then that they're just not good enough to face them. So that was interesting. Um, so they're going to be fighting each other next week. So that's going to be cool to see. Then we had VSK and Zicky Dice versus W. Morrissey. In another handicap match, um, and VSK and Zicky Dice and Brian Myers are in a group with each other. I think they're called the Learning Tree. I'm still learning um, stuff with Impact, so forgive me if I don't know everything. But Brian Myers um, sat in on commentary as his student Zicky and VSK battled W. Morrissey, who used to be Big Cass, um, fighting this handicap match. But it was almost like. It was a one-sided deal because, of course, W. Morrissey is huge. So he dominated by throwing down um, dice and putting VSK down with a BQE powerbomb. And then after the match, Morrissey warned that if he 
warned that he would track down the Impact World Champion Moose um, if he wouldn't come down to the ring. And he was ready to run through whoever he had to run through in order to find Moose. But then Scott Demore, the um, Impact um, Wrestling President, stopped Morrissey and revealed that um, Moose wasn't there. And said that he was going to challenge for challenge um, Moose for the title at No Surrender later on. Um, so this will more likely be the main event of that paper pay per view. And he and W Morrissey is in babyface mode, and it's really cool to see him do that now because I haven't really seen him do that since he was in WWE as Big Cass. So. Yeah, and he looks like he's in way better shape than he was before. So it looks like he's doing better from what he was doing at first, where his health was sort of, you know, kind of wonky or whatever. So that's good. So after that, we had a Ring of Honor championship match between Jonathan Gresham and Steve Macklin. And it's really cool to see, you know, Jonathan Gresham be a dominant um, black champion. And plus on top of that, he just had a successful weekend this past weekend with the start of Terminus Pro Wrestling in Georgia. Um, and I didn't know that he was called the Octopus. Like that was interesting to learn. But it was really cool to see him um, fight up against Steve Macklin, who was more of a powerhouse um, and also Deanna Parasso's boothang. So that was cool. Um, and they fought under pure rules. So Steve Macklin quickly spent two allotted rope breaks and was issued a warning after utilizing his one closed fist strike. And every time Jonathan Gresham was trying to, you know, show some sportsmanship and shake his hands, Steve just kept not doing it. It was really disrespectful, but whatever. Um, then Jonathan Gresham burned two rope breaks in his own right as Macklin seized control midway through the contest. And it felt like Macklin really was trying to break um, Jonathan Gresham down. Um, and then he applied a Boston Crab targeting the lower back of Jonathan Gresham and then it forced him to exhaust his third and final rope break. And then Gresham responded targeting the fingers of his opponent in an attempt to force the break of a hole. Then um, Steve Macklin delivered the crosshairs targeting the previously injured core of his opponent and then scored a near fall. But then Steve Macklin also used up his final rope break before exchanging hard physical strikes with Gresham. This was where the match kind of got a little bit one-sided for me. And I was just like, bro, like, is Jonathan going to get up and fight? But um, then he he Jonathan Gresham targeted the injured knee of his opponent and trapped him in a figure four. And because the rope breaks had been utilized, Jonathan Gresham was able to keep hold of the submission, then scale the ropes to add more pressure. And then since the pain was too much for him to bear, Macklin allowed his shoulders to stay on the mat for a quick three seconds, awarding um, the match to the octopus via pinfall. And when he tried to shake his hand this last time, Steve still wasn't having it and he wasn't being a good person and he left. So then what made it even more um, dramatic was the fact that you had the um, the Ring of Honor 5 come out and they were watching um, the match to sort of, you know, root for the Ring of Honor champion. And it was Matt Taven, Vincent, PCO, Maria Canellis, and Michael Bennett, you know, hanging over the Impact show for most of it. But then after they won their match, they basically left because they had to leave and security, you know, escorted them out. So, yeah, Ring of Honor participating, you know, with Impact is 
interesting to say the least since Ring of Honor has been broken up and stuff. But here's hoping they get their stuff together and we can figure out what's going to happen next with them. So then um, later on in the show, we had Joe Doring and Doc Gallows versus Rhino and Heath. So apparently there's this business arrangement going on between the Impact Tag Champions, the Good Brothers and Violent by Design. And this was continuing on in their match here. Um, then Eric Young and Diener stood ringside while Carl Anderson joined Tam Hannafan on commentary as the heels, you know, outnumbered the baby faces here. Then um, Gallows and Doring wore out Rhino, cutting him off from his partner and keeping the former um, champion grounded. Then Rhino fought back and then created separation, reopening the forehead of um, Gallows following hardcore war and hard to kill. Then a hot tag to Heath sparked the comeback, but a cheap shot from Diener on the floor allowed the heels to deliver a double choke slam um, for the pinfall victory. So Gallows and Doring won the match against Rhino and Heath. And this match was pretty okay, I guess. So, yeah. Then for the main event, we had Charlie Haas versus um, Josh Alexander. And this was interesting because I haven't seen Charlie Haas wrestle in so long <laughs> and i mean so long like ever since he ever since he left wwe i haven't really seen him i didn't know he was even active until they were showing clips of him in his past when he was still tagging with shelton benjamin um of course before shelton went back to wwe and it, it was just really interesting here to see him be so decorated you know outside of that so this was a learning um opportunity for me so there was a lot of early grappling that gave way to Charlie Haas, um, targeting the left knee of Alexander and take the base away from um, him. And then um, Josh shook off the pain to deliver a German suplex, but he could not complete the bridge with his knee giving out. And then as Alexander tried to find and maintain his balance charlie haas sees an opening to take him over with a belly-to-belly -belly suplex and continued to target the knee but then josh alexander fought back and grapevine his opponent's left leg and tapped him out with an ankle lock so josh alexander was able to prove that he was of course the standard of wrestling or at least the pinnacle of impact wrestling as tom hannafin saw um said on commentary by himself um but then they joined in the center of the ring as a sign of respect, but they were jumped by ring by the Ring of Honor crew, all while Maria was watching on the floor, and then Chris Sabin jumped in the ring to make the save, followed by Rich Swan and Willie Mack. Well, actually, Rich Swan and Willie Mack came out first, then Chris Sabin came out, and then Heath and Rhino came out before Eddie Edwards cleared the ring with a kendo stick, and... Then Maria grabbed the microphone as they went back to the top of the stage and said that they used to believe in honor, but then all of that has changed and said that this is honor no more. And it seemed like this was like a way for her to name the group. So I guess honor no more is the name of them now. And now they're just going to continue to um, run roughshod all over Impact Wrestling for as long as possible. So that was pretty much it. This was a solid um, Impact show. So I know I'm going to probably try my best to watch it more and more with each passing week because, you know, the talent is definitely worth it. So that's all that happened on Impact Wrestling. And now we're going to go to SmackDown and a little bit of Rampage.
All right. In terms of SmackDown, a little bit of Rampage, I'm going to talk about the women first. Jay Cargill versus Anna J for the TBS championship was the main event on Impact on um not Impact on um Rampage last night and I was really happy that that was the last match and they did a fantastic job. Literally a fantastic job. I enjoyed that match and I'm happy that Jade was able to retain the title in front of her baby and in Washington DC where she went to um Howard University and pledged aka I did not know that and that was just really cool information to find out on Instagram and it definitely suits her that she's an AK because she she just she just she's the total package and when she you know posted that picture and said she was one I was just like you know what I can believe that I really can so I'm really happy and I was really happy with Anna J because she showed more of her toughness here and um she kept calling herself that bitch slayer um, which I kind of appreciate, but then kind of didn't at the same time. But I feel a little bit of a way with Jay calling herself that bitch, you know, over and over again. But, you know, it's okay, I guess. But I was happy that Jay came out the victor. And that was my favorite part of Rampage um, last night. And also seeing Thunder Rosa and Mercedes Martinez continue to go back and forth at each other. Um, leading up to the eventual fight they're gonna have so I'm really interested in that so that's gonna be cool so yeah um in terms of Smackdown though their women the stuff with that was going on with their women kind of just made me a little bit happy slash upset but more so puzzled so with the women on smackdown you had Aaliyah versus natalia so natalia sought to avenge um a humiliating loss that she suffered at the hands of Aaliyah with a roll up in 3.17 seconds which means i'm basically going to dub Aaliyah from now on Aaliyah 317 which basically says she just rolled you up and I really feel like that should be a t-shirt because someone, when I actually live tweeted that with Women's Wrestling Talk, somebody said that that should be a t-shirt um, and that should be, you know, a trademark saying for Aaliyah at this point. Um, and if they do, run me my check. But either way, um, it was still cool. So Natalia wanted to avenge her loss. So this match was scheduled. And as this match was scheduled they also showed summer ray in the audience who basically you know um announced that she was going to be in the royal rumble and her and natalia had a back and forth on social media um and so natalia looked irritated with summer ray being there with her new hair color or whatever and she said and she actually told her to kiss my ass and then the match started and natalia just started destroying um Aaliyah and stomping her over and over again and hitting her with a discus clothesline and then <clears throat> backing her into the ring corner and just into the turnbuckles and kept kicking her over and over again and ignored the referee's warnings and the referee wound up disqualifying her much to her chagrin and she continued to attack Aaliyah until Zaylee, the protector made her first appearance in weeks and then fought her off on behalf of Aaliyah now as happy as I was to see Zaylee, you know make her beautiful entrance which I love and it hypes me up every time I see it and I love seeing her be a 
protector for people who are getting bullied I'm almost scared that maybe they're sort of pigeonholing her into this protector persona to the point that they're not letting her do anything else and not actually scheduling her for actual matches so we can see what she can do like that makes me sad because at first she was out there and she was um, protecting Naomi from getting beat up by Sonya Deville and Shayna Baszler um and Natalia but then that didn't go anywhere for a feud for her and then Shotzi's not there so it's like that's not happening but she's scheduled for the Royal Rumble so why is it Zia Lee you know isn't fighting um in matches like this kind of gave this segment gave the impression that maybe Zia Lee could start a rivalry with Natalia which would be great because you have their contrasting styles going up against each other but at the same time if this isn't going to go anywhere and if they're just going to pigeonhole her into the whole protector thing like a superhero thing because she hates vultures and hates bullies then I don't know I want more for her. Give us more women that aren't the regular women that we see all the time. Give us more SmackDown. Give us more. Then on top of that, with the women, you had another frustrating turn in the story involving Sonya Deville, Naomi, and Charlotte Flair. So Charlotte Flair and Naomi had a match scheduled last week with Adam Pearce because Adam Pearce didn't like how Sonya Deville was doing her. So this should have been a moment for Naomi to actually get another opportunity to have to for the SmackDown women's title and facing Charlotte but it just turned into another disappointment because prior to the match Sonya Deville sent the referee Charles Robinson out and named herself in that role to further screw Naomi over and it's like Flair dominated early and took advantage of the distraction that Naomi had because she was angry. But then Naomi knocked DeVille from the ring apron and delivered the rear view. And when she had Charlotte for the cover, DeVille stalled long enough for the queen to get up and deliver a chop block. And then following that up with a figure four, DeVille called for the bell despite Naomi not even tapping out in submission. And this was a screw job. This was a Nashville screw job. And even Pat McAfee was able to call it out and say, what in the Bret Hart? And I'm just like, yes, because yeah, that was just a perfect call for that from one call color commentator to another one. But this left a bad taste in my mouth. And even though backstage, um, Adam Pierce and Eric Bischoff both we're back there talking about how bad of a job Sonya Deville was doing as an official. And he scheduled a match between Naomi and Sonya Deville to finally settle their differences. It just, I'm sick and tired of them making Naomi look like she's not that girl. I'm really sick of it. And I know I don't really complain a whole lot on here, but this is one of these moments where I'm really tired of this storyline dragging on. This storyline has been going on since maybe late August to early September. And the moment where we thought they could have had a match at day one, they didn't have one scheduled for them. They only had one women's match scheduled at day one, which was between Liv and Becky. And that's no shade to them because that match was incredible. But they had room on that card for another women's match. And they could have put Naomi versus Sonya Deville there and ended that and moved Naomi on to something else to actually help her career. And this isn't helping her. It's not because it's making Naomi look like she's not the two-time SmackDown Women's Champion that we know she can be. Like... 
it's just irritating. This woman has been with the company for 10 years and there is so much more that she could be doing at this stage. And it's just really frustrating because she's so talented. And for her to be held back by somebody like Sonya Deville, who hasn't done nearly as much or accomplished nearly as much as Naomi has, it's just, oh my God, like why is this woman who didn't even win tough enough holding her back? it's frustrating it's really frustrating and if they're trying to save it for wrestlemania or something like that then that's a mistake because wrestlemania is all the way in april and we're just in january guys this isn't gonna work so i'm ready for hopefully next week for naomi to get some type of comeuppance here because i'm tired of seeing naomi just be so much of a good guy to where she's just letting herself be bullied by sonya deville it makes no type of walking around sense i'm sick of it like i'm ready for naomi to just come out of her tree and get buck on her i'm ready for it because if she doesn't get buck with her i'll get buck with sonya deville and i'm pretty sure y'all don't want to see me get to fighting because i don't normally fight but when people piss me off i'll either curse you out or maybe just slap you in your face i've done that before um and i'm ready for sonya deville to just get slapped all the way to hell because i'm sick of it i'm sick of her being a bully i'm sick of her acting like she's not a lesser because she is and i'm sick of her being jealous of naomi and her supposed main character energy when you have main character energy that's just what you give off naomi is that girl she is that main character and don't be jealous just because you don't you are back there in a suit you are covered up just because of what? Because the last time you were in a match, you lost to Mandy Rose and you couldn't take it anymore and had a meltdown and then decided you were just going to be an official. Okay, girl, that's not nobody's fault, but yours. Stop being a bully and put your hair up and square up and get ready to fight. We knucking and bucking and ready to fight. So let's do it. Like, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I'm ready for Naomi to beat Sonya Deville's ass. And that's all I have to say about that. And that's all for the women. So on SmackDown, furthermore, <laughs> with the men, you had the Usos acknowledging Roman Reigns and his 509 days as champion. And they, of course, aren't getting involved with Naomi somehow or another because, you know, they're not related in any way, shape or form, I guess. But uh, marriage, but whatever. So he'd been champion for 508 days and they were celebrating him or whatever. And he told Nashville to acknowledge him. And after they had a video package hyping up his accomplishments since August of 2020, when he first won the Universal Championship, like really think about that. He's really carried this pandemic era in a good way in terms of the men's, you know, roster. He's been champion since August of 2020, and this is January 2022, and he's still a champion. And he beat Braun Strowman for that title, who's no longer with the company at this point. Like, what the heck? So, after they showed this video clip of him dominating everybody from Brock Lesnar to John Cena, to J they didn't even really show J him beating Jey Uso, but he really did beat Jey Uso. Uh for that title and Rey Mysterio and everybody named Mama. Seth Rollins came out and interrupted and then Rollins said that Roman Reigns has been catered to and handed everything. And then he criticized him for sending the Usos to Raw to do his dirty work for him. And he accused Roman Reigns of having John Cena write a promo for you and saying if he and asking him if he was gonna say the same stuff. And this frustrates me because really Roman Reigns keeps taking like these below the belt digs at him but he's not you know bringing up to Seth Rollins the fact that he had help 
when he was champion, if it wasn't for the authority and if it wasn't for Triple H and Stephanie McMahon, Seth Rollins would not have been champion for as long as he was either. So he wants to talk about help, but yet every other time Roman Reigns has been champion, he's done that by himself. And it's only just now that he's utilizing the Usos and was using Paul Heyman, but not anymore. So really, Seth Rollins has selective amnesia at this point. So whatever. Um... Rollins then pitched an idea for a match in which him and a partner of his choosing would battle the Usos. And so if the Usos won the match, then he would lose his title um, opportunity at the Royal Rumble. But then if Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens, you know, who later on came out and revealed himself to be the partner, won the match, then the Usos would be um, barred from ringside for his match at the Royal Rumble against Roman Reigns. So they said, you're on and we're ready for it. But then even when Seth Rollins was talking to the Usos and saying that the Usos, you know, basically carry Roman Reigns, Jay Uso looked at Roman a kind of way that kind of gave off the impression like, yeah, like we did carry you and it's sad because at one point jay was fighting being you know the right hand man but then he kind of just submitted to it and even his brother jimmy submitted to it as well so this almost gave off the impression like maybe he was thinking that he made a mistake or something like that but i don't know it was interesting storytelling give jay uso a primetime emmy i'm sick of y'all but whatever um then we had Kofi Kingston versus Madcap Moss. And last week, Kofi um, lost to Madcap Moss because he didn't have King Woods with him because King Woods is injured for right now. But so Kofi realized he couldn't be out there by himself with Happy Corbin out there by, by Madcap Moss's side. So he entered Big E into the conversation. So Big E came out there ready to go and ready to, you know, even up the odds. And it was good to see him because he hadn't really been on Raw since he lost his last opportunity to face Brock Lesnar for the title. So it was good to see him. And I never get tired of seeing Kofi and Big E together because that's New Day. Those are brothers. It's cool. So Kofi Kingston fought from underneath following the commercial break. Um, rocking Madcap Moss with a jawbreaker, but then Moss um, flattened um, Kofi Kingston with a spine buster, ending his comeback attempt for the time being. And then um, the and then Kofi Kingston mounted a comeback, and this time he was able to put Moss down with Trouble in Paradise for the pinfall victory. And Trouble in Paradise just never ceases to amaze me. I just love that finishing move. It's so cool. I love Kofi. Then after the match, as Corbin was nursing up, you know, a banged up left arm, um, and Madcap Moss was acting like he still wanted some smoke, Big E delivered the big ending to Madcap Moss. So that was cool to see, you know. And then he was talking trash at Happy Corbin saying, if you want some, you know, come get some. You know, if you're feeling froggy, jump and all the other stuff. So that was cool. So then we had the Viking Raiders versus Los Lotharios. And as much as I love Humberto Carrillo and Angel Garza together as a tag team, they have done nothing. And that frustrates me because they're so talented. Like they're really talented together as a team because of course they're real life cousins. But it's just like, they're just so talented. And it feels like every week they just come out and get beat up. I want more for my latin brothers and sisters on wwe like stop booking them and lose it's like come on it's like if they're not the mysterios then they just keep losing and i'm mad about that so the viking raiders who are the number one contenders to the smackdown tag team championship um 
battle them in tag team action and this match went by kind of quick um it saw eric and ivar overcome a stiff challenge from angel and umberto before putting them away with the viking experience as they continue their march towards the smack towards their tag team championship match and it just went by relatively quick and i want better for los Lotharios. and that's really all i can say about that better for them then um there was the insane um segment with Sami Zayn doing calling himself doing you know jackass like tricks and he tried to attempt to prove he could out jackass Johnny Knoxville by trying out self-defense items against himself and he faked use a counter prod on himself and then tried to make it seem like he electrocuted himself or whatever and said what if I you know shot myself in the heart or whatever but then Johnny Knoxville came out and proceeded to actually turn it on and use it against Sami Zayn and he left him lying in a heap after that point and he was like oh my god like I really been electrocuted or something like that and then Johnny Knoxville proceeded to you know throw him over the top rope as if to say that he was going to perform well in this Royal Rumble. And I'm predicting that Johnny Knoxville might actually last a bit in the Royal Rumble match, but of course he's not going to win. But at the same time, it's just an excuse to, you know, promote Jackass Forever, the new movie. But at the same time, it's still fun to see because it's it just reminds me of my childhood. So yeah, um, 2000s was a good time to be alive. <sighs> my childhood is gone. Either way, um, yeah, it was cool. So then after that, um, we had a backstage segment involving Shinsuke Nakamura, the Intercontinental Champion, and Rick Boogs with Jeff Jarrett, and that's always cool. Um, and then he spelled his name, and then Rick Boogs was like, and then he said what his name was, and then Rick Boogs was like, yeah, my name is Rick Boogs, B-O-O-G-S. <laughs> that was cute. So, yeah. Then we had a match with Sheamus um, versus Ricochet. And I'm tired of Ricochet losing. There really wasn't much to say about this match because here again, it went by really quickly. But I'm just tired of Ricochet losing because he does not necessarily have such a memorable character that translates on television but he has so much talent and i don't know if it's gonna take him being put back on nxt 2.0 for him to like get something going or what but i'm really tired of him losing and then i and then like i was saying with women's wrestling talk with santana with our recap it's like his girlfriend samantha Irvin has been promoted to being the SmackDown um, ring announcer. And it's like, she has to watch him lose. And that's that's gotta be embarrassing or demoralizing. So I want better for Ricochet because it was only a couple of weeks ago where he was in a gauntlet match and he performed so well in it only for him to lose. There's so much, there's just more for him. And I know it is, but it's just so sad to watch him lose like this to Sheamus all the time. And what is this win gonna do for Sheamus? Like what is it just seems very directionless at this point so yeah then we got to our main event involving Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens versus the Usos and like I said in the beginning the stakes were really high for this so um and also shout out to Seth Rollins for shouting out um John Moxley 
um, during his promo with Roman Reigns at the beginning of the show, which further shows that the shield is always forever and they always have a bond and they'll always love each other and all of the above. That was great. So yeah, um, the Usos dominated the action early in the tag team match and throughout the final commercial break, working over on Owens, but then a hot tag to Seth Rollins sparked a comeback that saw Seth within inches of victory, only to fall um, prey to a two-on-one attack by his opponents. Then Kevin Owens re-entered the match and delivered a fisherman buster from the top rope for a near fall, only for Jay to break up the pin. Like, this match was very high-powered. I loved it. Um, then Seth Rollins tagged back in while Owens delivered a stunner to Jay Uso. Then Seth set up for a curb stomp and delivered it, only to be interrupted by Roman Reigns' Superman punch, resulting in a DQ. So, Roman Reigns glared back at Seth Rollins as the show went off the air, knowing now that he has to fight Seth Rollins by himself. Um in order to retain his title at the at royal rumble so now the usos won't be able to be by his side at the match so yeah that was interesting but that kind of confused me because i'm just like didn't you want your, the you know your your cousins to win this for you or whatever but it was looking like he was gonna they were gonna lose so yeah i guess now he wants to prove that he can be the tribal chief by himself so I guess if he were to beat Seth Rollins at the Royal Rumble, this is going to open the door for somebody else to face him. Or like Santana said on our women's wrestling talk show, he could lose it to Seth Rollins, which would upset me because what what's a tribal chief without his title? But Seth Rollins could possibly win the title and then take it to Raw or whatever or something like that. And then Roman Reigns could either fight Brock Lesnar because, of course, they still have a little bit of their beef going on. Or this could open up the door for somebody with a big eyebrow and a Brahma bull to come in and face him. That would be cool, but I don't know. So that's all for SmackDown. And now we're just going to go to the conclusion of the show. Right, so thank you for listening to this new episode of the hardy wrestling podcast um just know that if you want to follow me on social media you can follow me on instagram at well on instagram and twitter at queen steph hardy and you can follow the um, wrestling podcast on instagram at hardy wrestling podcast and on twitter at hardy wrestle pod and you can listen to the podcast on, on the Anchor app, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your podcasts, you can listen to me. Um, and also continue to support Women's Wrestling Talk. Um, follow us everywhere at Pod, and check out our website at www.talkpod.com and also follow and support the belladonna division um on twitter we have we have a twitter account um and that's at belladonna Diviz. um and you can follow us on instagram at belladonna division and watch the belladonna division event coronation on fight tv and i'll be on commentary for it with my commentary bessie scott resner like i mentioned before and just, you know, continue to support the Hardy Wrestling Podcast as a brand. Um, continue to like, share, and subscribe on YouTube and write comments, positive comments. Um, <laughs> and if you write negative ones, I mean, fine, whatever. But still just 
write mostly positive comments and also give me a rating on Apple Podcasts as well so I can get my viewership up and you know just continue to support the show so I can continue to succeed as well and you know just continue to support the brand as I continue to work hard for my chill positive and passionate brand so yeah so hopefully next week I'll be able to put out another episode as we get closer to my two-year anniversary and just continue to just grow as a person so I hope you're doing okay and being as healthy as you can in this Pantene Pro-V because this is still a Pantene Pro-V time and even though stuff is getting crazy and there's a lot of sad things going around like oh my god like there's a lot of death and a lot of destruction going around I just hope that you're being as healthy as you possibly can and doing what you can to be the light of the world and not the darkness of it and just doing whatever you can to just be the best you can be so with that in mind this is the hardy wrestling podcast with your girl stephanie hardy and until next time bye y'all